Yeah, this is our uh, Simon Don reading group, uh, reading individuation in light of notions of form and information. We're on part two on vital individuation, and we're on chapter two of that part, section two. Uh, we're just going to start section, or sorry, section four. We're going to start this uh, for today. So last time we looked at the relationship between individuation and the relations of one organism with another in the sphere of vital individuation. Uh, and so the specific cases that Simon Dome brings up are cases of parasitism and symbiosis. So in the case of parasitism, there's a reduction in the degree of individuation of the of both parties, both the host and the parasite. So they, they both have a lesser degree of individuation than they would as independent organisms. Whereas in the case of symbiosis, like the case of the lichen, uh, which is composed of fungus and an alga, the, the two entities maintain their individuality in the symbiosis. So they don't lose their individuality in the way that the parasited organism does. And then we saw um, right at the end of the, the section, he gives this sort of strange um, return to the uh, quantum physics stuff that we were looking at a few weeks ago, or maybe a couple months ago now, first part of the book on physical individuation. And he, he introduces uh, a criterion or a, a, a principle that separates vital individuation from living individuation. And it's it has to do with the way that the support of potential energy or the, the basis for possible transformations is distinct or not from the information that conditions that transformation. So in the case of physical individuation, there is no distinction between the uh, support of potential energy and the, the information that uh, conditions that transformation. So uh, like in the crystal example, you have the supersaturated solution in which the crystallization is happening and the potential energy in that solution is um, transformed or, or is, is the, the basis for the transformation of that solution into uh, a crystal with a determinate structure. Whereas in the case of living organisms, or in, in case of vital individuation, there is a distinction between the support of potential energy and the system of, of information. And so you can have individuation uh, understood in terms of integration of information uh, over the, the whole structure of the, the organism. Yeah, so a living being is an individual to the extent that its functions are integrated with respect to information. And this can be different for different functions, as we've seen in the past couple of weeks. So certain functions can be integrated at the level of a, an organism, and then other functions can be integrated at the level of a, a colony of organisms. The integration of information is the, the sort of key notion for vital individuation in a, way that it, in a way that it isn't in the case of physical individuation. So that's uh, basically where we left off last week. Uh, and so we'll pick up at the beginning of section four of, uh, of this chapter. So I'll start reading. I'll read the first page or so, and then we'll go around from there. Section 4, Information and Ontogenesis, Subsection 1, Notion of an Ontogenetic Problematic. The ontogenesis of the living being cannot be thought on the basis of the notion of homeostasis alone, i.e. the perpetuation of metastable equilibrium through self-regulations. This representation of metastability would be suitable for describing a fully adult being that would merely maintain itself in existence, but it would not be sufficient for explaining ontogenesis. This notion must be joined with that of an internal problematic of being. 
The state of the living being is like a problem to be resolved, to which the individual becomes the solution through successive assemblages of structures and functions. The young individuated being could be considered a system that carries information as pairs of antithetical elements linked together by the precarious unity of the individuated being whose internal resonance creates a cohesion. The homeostasis of the metastable equilibrium is the principle of cohesion that links these domains through an activity of communication and between which there is a disparation. Development could then appear as successive inventions of functions and structures that resolve step by step the internal problematic carried by the individual as a message. These successive inventions or partial individuations, which could be called stages of amplification, contain significations that ensure that each of the being stages is presented as the solution of the previous states. These successive infractions resolutions of the internal problematic cannot be presented as a nullification of the being's tensions. Gestalt theory, which uses the notion of equilibrium, supposes that the being seeks to discover its most stable state of equilibrium in the good form. Freud also thinks that beings tend toward a pacification of their internal tensions. In fact, a form is not a good form for the being unless it is constructive, i.e. unless it veritably incorporates the foundations of the previous disparation in a systematic unity of structures and functions. An achievement that would merely be an unconstructive relaxation would not be the discovery of a good form, but simply an impoverishment or a regression of the individual. What becomes a good form is that of the individual which is not yet individuated. Only death would be the resolution of all tensions, and death is not the solution to any problem. The resolving individuation is one that conserves the tensions in the equilibrium of metastability instead of nullifying them in the equilibrium of stability. Individuation makes tensions compatible but does not relax them. It discovers a system of structures and functions within which tensions are, com are compatible. The equilibrium of the living being is an equilibrium of metastability, not an equilibrium of stability. Internal tensions remain constant as the cohesion of the being relative to itself. The being's internal resonance is the tension of metastability. It is what confronts the pairs of determinations between which there is a disparation, and that can only be significative through the discovery of a higher structural and functional ensemble. Um, if anyone has the, uh, the PDF open to the end notes, uh, that would be useful here to um, post a couple of these end notes that have come up in the uh, in that last passage because some of them are, are pretty important. There's one on the the notion of right. Thank you. Uh, Sixty one is just posted in the in the chat, I believe. The footnote on disparation uh, is an important one because this is a concept that uh, he uses throughout the book. Uh, but he only really defines it here, I think. So I'll just translate this on the fly if, uh, if no one else has the, the PDF on open to that, uh, that section. So it's, it's the end note on disparation, explaining what it is. He says, uh, this word is borrowed from the psychophysiological theory of perception. There is disparation when two sets, two um, twin sets are not totally superposable such that the left retinal image and the right retinal image are grasped together as a system. Oh, there we go. Here's the footnote. Thanks, 61. Yeah, that's easier than trying to translate on the fly. Um, so yeah, the two retinal images are grasped together as a system, allowing for the formation of a single ensemble at a higher degree that integrates all their elements due to a new dimension. For example, in the case of vision, the layering of depths of field. Um, so this is the 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 sort of um, paradigm example that Simon Don takes is the case of vision. So you have on 
your left retina and your right retina, you have slightly different images of, of whatever you're looking at. And your perception of that object is not of two separate images. You don't, you don't see two retinal images. You see a single object. You, you incorporate the, the two retinal images uh, and you don't, uh, it's not an abstraction as he, um, he explains this a, a little bit later as well in the text. It's not an abstraction in the sense that you would preserve only what's common to the two images and discard whatever is particular to one image uh, and not the other. Uh, so there's a, an integration of the information in both images, and this integration happens through the introduction or the discovery or invention, whatever you want to call it, of a new dimension, which is depth in perception. So you perceive a single object in depth rather than seeing two flat retinal images. Uh, and this is, he takes this as the paradigm of what the resolution of a problem looks like in the case of vital individuation. So life is essentially just a, a series of problem resolutions uh, which take the form of resolving disparation between two different um, elements or, or parts of a system and, and inventing a, a new dimension in which they fit together. Uh, and this sort of confrontation with Gestalt theory or, or this um, criticism of Gestalt theory is, uh, is going to be one of the key ideas of this whole section as well. So he his criticism, and, and I think he's introduced this already in the uh, introduction of the book um, as a whole, which we saw several months ago. Uh, he, his criticism is that the Gestalt theory doesn't distinguish between um, stability and metastability, or a stable equilibrium and a metastable equilibrium. And, and so it tends to treat the good form or the, the goal of a psychical process as being the the resolution of tensions or the um, the uh, reaching uh, reaching a, a form of, of stability in, in, rather than what Simon Don wants to uh, argue here is that uh, psychical processes aim not towards stability but towards metastability. So there's always the the possibility of further transformation is retained rather than resolving the tensions and then leaving uh, no possibility for further transformation. Um, so for, for Simon Don, resolving all of the tensions uh, or um, reaching a state of stability um, would just mean death. There is no further possibility of transformation. So insofar as a living being is still alive, then it means that it, uh, it has to preserve those, those tensions or the, preserve the potential energy, um, which is what allows for possible transformations to occur. Okay, so we can go on to the next um, page or so if someone else would like to read. Um, I had a, a quick question on this line, this sentence in this paragraph where he says, development could then appear as, as successive inventions of functions and structures to resolve step-by-step step the internal problematic carried by the individual as a message. Is that internal problematic just these uh, different sort of states of uh, either sort of perception or... I guess the pre-perceptive uh, sensation um, in desperation. Uh, we're going to see, and well, in in this passage, in uh, the next couple of pages, we'll see that um, there's a, a sort of continuity between um, development in the uh, in the sense of um, embryology, so the actual uh, physiological um, emergence of an organism and development in the sense of the development of behavior uh, so, or psychological development. 
So here, when he talks about development, uh, I, I think he's th he's thinking of both of those, uh, I guess, domains of development or or types of development. The growth of a of an organism out of the the embryo is uh, is also a resolution of problems in the same way that uh, in perception there's a, a resolution of problems and and in uh, learning or uh, the development of behavior uh, there's a, a resolution of problems so any any sort of vital activity or any um, function of life uh, involves a resolution of, of problems in that sense uh, okay thank you that's helpful um, I can read this next page or so it could be said that ontogenesis is a perpetuated problematic that rebounds from resolution up to complete stability up to complete stability, which is that of the adult form. However, complete maturation is not reached by all the functions and structures of the being at the same time. Uh, many paths of ontogenesis are pursued sometimes in parallel with an alternation of activity that makes it such that the process of growth affects one set of functions, then another, and then a third, after which it ultimately returns to the first. It seems that this capacity of resolving problems is limited to a certain extent and appears as an operation of the being on itself, an operation that has a systematic unity and cannot affect all the aspects of the being simultaneously. According to Arnold Gassel, the ontogenesis of living individuals manifests a process of growth founded on the coexistence of a principle of unity and a principle of duality. The principle of unity is that of the direction of development, which is revealed as a, a gradient of growth. Somatic and functional development is effectuated by a series of successive waves oriented according to the uh, cephalocaudal axis, which is fundamental and radiates from the different levels of the axis following the secondary uh, proximodistal schema. This first principle of unity through the polarity of development is completed by that of lateral dominance bilateral symmetry of the body and particularly that of the sense organs and neuromuscular effectors does not prevent the existence of a functional asymmetry both in the development of the anatomophysiological symmetry and in the anatomophysiological symmetry. On the other hand there is a principle of duality that of the bilateral symmetry of the majority of the organs and that of the sense organs and the effectors in particular. Somatic and functional development uh, development of behavior, according to Gassel's expression, is effectuated according to a process of reciprocal intertwining that blends unity and duality through a sort of weaving that separates, keeps together, organizes, differentiates, regulates, and structures the different uh, somatopsychic functions and assemblages. Development is a behavior upon behaviors, a progressive weaving of behaviors uh, the adult being is a dynamic web, an organization of separations and reunifications of structures and functions. A double movement of integration and differ differentiation constitutes this structural and functional web. The progressive individuating maturation divides up increasingly detached and precise schemata within the global unity of reactions and attitudes. But this detachment of schemata of action is only possible to the extent that these schemata are individuated, i.e. are formed as a synergistic unity that structures many elements which could be separate. A precise and adapted movement is, with respect to the whole organism, in fact the result of an individuating maturation. But this individuating maturation cannot constitute a functional unity through pure analysis. The individual of what Cassell calls a pattern 
structural and functional schema does not originate from the mere analysis of a pre-existing global whole, but also and simultaneously from a structuration that systematically integrates several functions. Each motion and each behavior implicate the whole body, but they are not obtained by the analysis and specialization of a global process that would implicitly contain them. The initial organismic unit does not act as the reservoir of all possible behaviors, but as the power of cohesion, reciprocity, unity, and symmetry. Maturation makes individuation possible, but individuation does not result from maturation. It is not a pure synthesis, a pure learning by way of the conditioning responses entering into a natural and preformed relational schema. Uh, development takes place through successive learning procedures, which are occasions for the integration of processes during the organism's maturation. The organism's relation to the world takes place through the self-regulating fluctuation of behavior, a schema of differentiation and integration more complex than learning through respondent conditioning alone. The resolution of the problems of the, the individual bears takes place according to a process of constructive amplification. Is he saying that not, it's neither the synthetic function nor the, the analytic one are primary, but both of them sort of operate uh, simultaneously? Uh, I think it's not so much that they operate simultaneously as that the process of development is is neither an analysis nor a synthesis. Uh, an analysis would be if um, if the um, the adult form behaviors were um, were just sort of um, already implicitly there in the uh, in the embryo or in the juvenile organism, and and then the uh, the process of learning those behaviors or of development of, of behavior would just be some sort of um, making explicit what is already implicit in, uh, in the organism as a, a juvenile. And then synthesis would be, well, the way he depicts it here, synthesis has to do with um, learning through conditioning. So um, taking a, a reflex behavior and conditioning the response so that it uh, is connected with a, a different um, uh, stimulus. Um, so that you would have like a chain of stimulus and response that uh, would create a, a complex behavior. And so neither of these processes are, uh, so even though there might be instances where, where either of these processes can be pointed out, neither of them is, is sufficient to account for the development of behavior as a whole. And so we instead have to, we have to look at uh, the development of behavior as a sort of double, well, yeah, he's, he calls it a double movement of uh, integration and differentiation so that um, there's uh, this genetic aspect to it, to the, um, the development of behavior so that it's, it involves the differentiation of um, what is previously undifferentiated and then at the same time integration of what is previously differentiated. Uh, and, and those are the same movements or, or they're, they're the same process. Um, so it's uh, the development of behavior is a transformation uh, in, in the process of individuation rather than uh, something that occurs to an already individuated organism. So is, is an example of this double movement sensation to perception and then perception to action where like sensation sort of sensation is differential and then perception unifies the I don't know, the differential data of sensation. 
I'm not 100% sure about that example. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll come to see in the next couple of pages, we'll see more on the relationship between sensation and perception. Um, so the, the way that he wants to characterize that relationship is, is that sensation and perception are, are two different aspects of a single process rather than sensation being uh, something that provides material for which perception uh, uh, provides the form. Uh, the sort of classical picture, um, which you can find in, in sort of derived from uh, Kant, the classical picture in which sensation just provides the the raw material, and then perception is uh, the result of applying some sort of form or or structure to that material. And so instead, he wants to see sensation and perception as as two aspects of the same process. Uh, so in in one aspect, in in insofar as it's sensation. It has to do with the insertion of the organism into uh, an environment or, or a milieu. Um, so uh, he doesn't really mention this at, at this point, but we can uh, tie this in with what he's talked about in, in previous sections where um, sensation has to do with um, a, a tropism, so a, a directionality um, with respect to a, a gradient in the environment. Um, so uh, uh, sensation in this sense um, is a sensation of uh, like warmth, for example, is uh, it means uh, situating the organism uh, with respect to a temperature gradient and whatever the object uh, that is sensed or the, the sensation of warmth um, um, situates the organism as, as being at a lower degree of temperature uh, compared to the environment uh, um, and then the opposite for a sensation of, of coldness uh, so there's um, yeah so sensation is is that uh, incorporation or, or, or um, relationality between the organism and its environment whereas perception is um, a sort of production of a, of a distance from the environment or um, uh, a separating out of uh, of an object from the environment. So there's, rather than just having that sort of direct relationality that sensation has, there's instead uh, something like an object as um, uh, something that is distinct from the, the sensing organism uh, and that's um, separated off from the rest of the environment. But yeah, so we'll, we'll see more on that in the next few pages. But the idea here is that the sensation and perception are um, two aspects of the same process, uh, just viewed in, under different lenses or um, in different uh, circumstances. Okay, so let's go on to um, the next paragraph if someone else would like to read from Gazelle's description. Um, Gazelle's description of human ontogenesis and the principles uh, by means of which he interprets interprets it extend according to Gassel the results of a general embryology. These principles are not merely metaphorical and descriptive. According to the author, they translate a fundamental aspect of life. In truth, this duality, which is maintained by a unity manifested by the principles of bilateral symmetry and functional asymmetry, or better yet, the direction of developmental and individuating maturation, is at the heart of the principle of ontogenesis in the chromosomal structure. Uh, Gassel cites Winch's theory according to which the chromosome is a structure constituted by two elements, long filaments of identical protein mole 
molecules distributed parallel to one another, surrounded by groups of molecules of cyclized nucleic acid, all of which is interlinked like a weft. The symbol of the chain and of the weft could thus be invoked as the structural and functional foundation of development. Ontogenesis would take place starting from the duality of the pairs of protein molecules. A hereditary characteristic would not be a predetermined element, but a problem would be resolved. A pair of two distinguished and rejoined elements in a relation of disparation. The individuated being would therefore contain a certain number of disparation pairs that are generative of problematics. Structural and functional development would be the result of the resolution of problems. Uh, a stage of development is the solution to a problem of disparation. By way of the temporal dimension of the successive, which brings with it differentiation and integration, a stage of development supplies the unique signification within which the pair of disparate elements constitutes a continuous system. Development is therefore neither pure analysis nor pure synthesis, nor a mixture of the two aspects. Development is the discovery of significations, the structural and functional realization of significations. In the form of pairs of disparate elements, the being contains an implicit signification that is realized, discovered in development, is realized, discovered in development. But development is not merely an unfolding, an explication of characteristics contained in a complete individual notion that would be a monadic essence. There's no single essence of the individuated being because the individuated being is not substance, not a monad. Its entire possibility of development comes to it from what is not completely unified or systematized. A systematized being, which has an essence just like a series has its reason, could not develop. The being is not fully contained in its principle, or rather, in its principles. The being develops on the basis of its principles, but its principles are not given in a system. There is no uh, there is no first essence of an individuated being. The genesis of the individual is a discovery of successive patterns that resolve the uh, incompatibilities inherent to the basic pairs of disparation. Development is the discovery of the dimension of resolution, or better yet, of signification, which is the dimension not contained in the disparation pairs and due to which these pairs become systems. Uh, thus, each retina is covered with a two-dimensional image. The left image and the right image are disparate. They cannot overlap because they represent the world seen from two different points of view, which creates a, different, a difference of parallaxes and a field overlaps. Certain details hidden by the first field in the left image are, on the contrary, exposed in the right image and vice versa, such that certain details only a figure on a single such that certain details only figure on a single monocular image. However, a third image that would unify these two images is not optically possible. They are disparate by essence and not superposable in the axiomatic of bidimensionality. In order for them to make a coherence appear that incorporates them, they must become the foundations of a world perceive, perceived from within an axiomatic in which the disparation condition of impossibility of the direct two-dimensional system precisely becomes the index of a new dimension. There are no longer two images, there are no longer two images in the three-dimensional world, 
but the system integrates two images, a system that exists according to an axiomatic on a superior level to that of each of the images, but which is not contradictory relative to them. Tridimensionality integrates bidimensionality. All of the details of each image are present in the system of significative integration. Details that are concealed by the overlap of fields and consequently only exist on a single image are retained in the system of integration and perceived completely as if they belong to both images. Here we wouldn't think of a process of abstraction and generalization that would merely conserve in the perceptive signification what is mutual to the two separate retinal images. Far from retaining what is mutual, perception retains everything that is particular and incorporates it into the whole. Furthermore, it utilizes the conflict between two particulars in order to expose the superior system within which those, these two particulars are incorporated. The perceptive discovery is not a reduction, not a reductive abstraction, but an integration and amplifying operation. He points this uh, presence of disparation here back to the, the structure of DNA itself, which I think is a little bit speculative. Like this is, when Simon Don was writing it, this is after the structure of DNA has been identified. Um, but I think Gazelle, who he's citing, uh, was writing before that period. So there's a, a, a bit of a, a gap there. Um, but the this idea of... Um, the disparation existing at the level of the uh, DNA itself, I think is, um, yeah, an interesting one that uh, he, yeah, he, he wants to um, recognize disparation at that level already. Um, and so the uh, inheritance from, uh, from the parents in the sense that um, you inherit uh, two copies of the, uh, uh, or uh, two two different um, pairs for each um, allele, so you you already inherit um, a, a disparation from your parents, and then you uh, you perform a process of uh, a resolution of that problem or invention of a, a dimension in which the disparation is uh, is resolved. Um, yeah, so this is already happening at the level of. Uh, um, molecular biology uh, for Simon Dong, uh, but then it's continuous with uh, the development of behavior as well. Yeah, so he he uh, he argues that this development process is not um, is not an analysis or a synthesis or even some sort of mixture of the two, um, because it uh, by sort of reducing it to an analysis or a synthesis, you lose the idea of the invention of something new, um, which, uh, so either in the case of analysis, either everything is already there at the, at the beginning. Um, uh, so that's the, this monadic conception um, in which uh, the whole uh, history of the organism is already sort of programmed in at the beginning and the development just consists in a, a sort of unrolling or um, uh, working out of that program. Um, and then the synthesis conception would be uh, just like the, the building blocks are already there and they're sort of uh, put together to, to form the, uh, the behavior of the adult organism. 
and uh, in either either case, there's n there's no creation of something new. There's no in invention in uh, the the proper sense of the term, and and so Simondon wants to uh, preserve the um, preserve the possibility of the creation of something new um, in in development, and so I think that's the the, the sort of motivation for um, uh, viewing development as neither analysis nor synthesis. And then we have more um, detailed uh, explanation of the uh, the process of um, uh, in the case of the retinal images, the disparate retinal images, and the um, creation of a, uh, a third dimension in perception. Um, and so, yeah, that's just the uh, what I was describing a little while ago about um, how, how there's uh, different information um, or different uh, images on, on each retina and uh, the the invention of a third dimension uh, incorporates the um, the particularity of each image, so it doesn't abstract away from what is particular to each image. It incorporates it into a, a structure with a, a a third dimension. So, um, the question, my question is that, like, in this process, the elements cannot be like wholly, totally synthesized. Instead of that, like some, if I say like elements are still there, like for another kind of a process. So what I understand is like, it's kind of like coexistence of all levels, all levels of elements. So it, um, it synthesizes in some way, it's uh, in a way like it's a stay there or it also makes like develop the previous like a stage or something like that. So it's kind of all kind of coexistence of, um, if I say like elements. So as they uh, put in the uh, page two to uh, six, it's kind of like a metastable state, which where kind of every, every kind of element coexists like, you know, some, I mean, According to like uh, the um, angle of the perspective, it can be seen as a, like the um, development. It can be seen as application. It can be seen as a synthesis. So multi-dimensional aspects it has, and then it should be like different according to different individual. So at the end of the day, like it is linked to the idea of a multiplicity. It's kind of like a random thinking. If if you have any thoughts about my random thinking, please. Yeah. Um, so I think if I if I understand correctly, I think the the concern or the the uh, issue that you're raising is that, um, however, we want to characterize this development process. Um, there still has to be something that is. Uh, Retained or some some element that is already there at, at the beginning of the process has to has to um, persist throughout the process uh, so that there wouldn't be something there wouldn't be like a, a sort of pure creation or pure invention it would be um, <clears throat> it's uh, um, the 
invention or or the appearance of something new would would be relative to something that already exists um uh is that is that about um sort of what you were asking about there um there could be like um the reason the reason why but the point here is that like um kind of here amplification and every kind of like a concept someone don't brought up here to explain like each individuation should be different both um diverse and the reason is that the uh, synergetics or i mean or, or different i mean in order to like explicate why um the process, individual process, should have been different. It's not like a perfectly, I mean, it, it does not have a kind of like a perfect form of individuation. It it looks in a way like, I mean, goes to the equilibrium, but actually it's not because some elements are still, I mean, undeveloped and then some 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 elements are like uh, still going on, some development is done and then something done doesn't mean like a, the uh, the couple form, it it also go, goes on like with the other other uh, exterior or interior like um, <clears throat> stimuluses whatsoever. <sighs> so so I think uh, the the keyword in a way like a metastability of the process. Yeah, yeah. The metastability here is um, sort of a key notion. Um, because, uh, well, for two reasons, I think. So first of all, each stage or each um, uh, portion of the development process is itself reaches a, a metastable state. So it, uh, it, uh, do it doesn't resolve the tension, it doesn't um, um, eliminate the disparation that, uh, that exists before the process. It, um, it brings about a transformation of structure, uh, but it doesn't um, it doesn't eliminate the the potential for future transformations. So that's the the first important aspect. And then the the second side of it is that um, each process of development or or each component of the total development process uh, begins from a metastable state. So it it. Uh, uh, the the condition in which um, the organism appears at the beginning of the process uh, is already a metastable state uh, in which the capacity for future transformation is present. Uh, so um, the process of individuation is always relative to um, uh, and the sorry the the process of uh, development of a, a vital individual or a living organism. Is always relative to uh, a pre-existing metastable state, and then uh, to a, a future metastable state that that is the result of that process. So there's, uh, um, so yeah, you're 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 right that um, the the metastable, or sorry, the the process of individuation, uh, the process of development is not um, a, a creation out of nothing or or something like that. It's not the appearance of something completely new it's um it's um a development out of what is already given in the the vital organism uh in the vital individual um 
but it has to be understood as a, a transformation rather than just a, a sort of rearrangement of what is already present. Um, so yeah, that's a, uh, it's a, a sort of a subtle difference, but I think an important one uh, about um, understanding the the process of development as uh, an actual transformation of uh, an entity rather than just a, a rearranging of what's already present. Um, so I think we can go on to the next bit here. Um, so I'll read uh, the next page or so. I think that might take us to the end of this subsection. Uh, so yeah, we're, we're at the first full paragraph on 2.30. Yet it is possible to suppose that perception is not fundamentally different from growth and that the living being operates similarly in every activity. As an activity, growth is amplification via differentiation and integration, not a simple continuity or unfolding. In every complete vital operation, the two aspects of integration and differentiation are joined together. Thus, perception would not exist without the differential utilization of sensation, which is sometimes considered as a proof of subjectivity and a justification of the critique of the validity of a knowledge obtained from perception. Sensation is not what contributes a confused continuum to the a priori of the perceiving subject and matter for the a priori forms. Sensation is the differential play of the sense organs indicating a relation to the milieu. Sensation is the capacity of differentiation, i.e. the apprehension of relational structures between objects or between the body and objects. But this operation of sensory differentiation can only be coherent with itself if it is made compatible with by another activity, the activity of integration, which is perception. Sensation and perception are not two activities that follow one another, with the former providing matter to the latter. They are two twin and complementary activities, two versions of this amplifying individuation that the subject operates according to its relation to the world. Furthermore, growth is not a separate process. It is a model of all vital processes. The fact that it is ontogenetic truly indicates its central, essential role, but this does not mean that there is not a certain ontogenetic coefficient in each of the being's activities. An operation of sensation perception is also a relative and restrained ontogenesis, but it is an ontogenesis that effectuates itself by utilizing preformed structural and functional models. It is supported by the already existing living being and oriented by the content of memory and activated by instinctual dynamisms. All the functions of the living being are ontogenetic to some extent, not just because they ensure an adaptation to an external world, but because they participate in this ongoing individuation that life is. The individual lives to the extent that it continues to individuate, and it individuates by way of the activity of memory, as well as the imagination or abstract inventive thought. In this sense, the psychical is vital, and it is also true that the vital is psychical, but on condition of understanding the psychical as the activity of the construction of systems of integration within which the disparation of pairs of elements takes on a sense. Adaptation, the particular case in which the disparation pair includes an element of the subject and a representative element of the external world, is an insufficient criterion for providing an account of life. Life includes adaptation, but there, for there to be adaptation, there must be an already individuated living being. Individuation is anterior to adaptation, and the latter does not exhaust the former. So this is the, the bit that I um, pointed to a little bit earlier about how sensation and perception are just two sides of the same activity. So for uh, sensation, it has to do with um, differentiation insofar as um, the, the organism is inserted into an environment and... Uh, um, 
sensation is the recognition of a uh, difference in a quality uh, within that environment. So heat or warmth or light or dark or whatever. Um, and um, uh, perception is a function of integration uh, in, a, in the sense that um, there's um, uh, a sort of coherence of, uh, of uh, the function uh, in perception in a way that uh, doesn't exist in, uh, in sensation. Um, so there's uh, um, a structuring uh, of the perceptual situation such that there's a, a, a perceived object and a perceiving subject, which are coherent entities in, in a way that doesn't uh, exist in, in um, when you view the process um, as a, an instance of sensation instead of perception. Uh, and yeah, there's a footnote. Um, the numbering is different, but uh, I think it's footnote 48, which is uh, a useful one as well if, uh, if someone um, has the PDF open and can and copy that, that would be helpful. Right, thanks Angus. Yeah, so um, so this is um, explaining the the um, the difference or the relationship between sensation and perception. Um, so I'll just read it for the listeners. Uh, through its differential usage, sensation supplies plurality, the non-compatibility of data, the problematic capacity that carries information. Perceptive integration can only be carried out through construction, which generally implies an effective motor response, the amplification of the sensory motor universe. Um, so yeah, that's the relationship between um, um, the sensation, uh, which is a function of differentiation and perception, which is a function of integration. Um, and then I'm, I won't really get into um, this bit about adaptation at the end here, because that's the whole subject of the next subsection. Um, so um, for now, we'll just say that it's a, a transition to the, the next subsection. And so in, uh, adaptation is a, a special case of development. Uh, just before he talks about adaptation, when he's talking about the vital and the psychical, he says that we have to understand the psychical as the activity of the construction of systems of integration within which the disparation of pairs of elements takes on a sense. Uh, is he talking about the genesis of like psych the psychical as the genesis of sense itself? Um, hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm not sure if he would want to identify um, the psychical with the uh, with sort of the domain of sense or something like that. Uh, I'm not sure if he would make that identification uh, just because um, uh, I think for him, the psychical would be um, probably broader than the domain of sense uh, insofar as uh, um, sensation uh, is uh, incorporated into the domain of the psychical uh, and se sensation is um, a sort of relation to an environment uh, in a way that I don't think uh, would be uh, sort of structured by what we would call sense. 
yeah, sensation is uh, is just a relation to a gradient in the environment, uh, and and so I don't think it would make sense to to describe that as as having any uh, direct connection with sense. Um, but I think um, yeah, I'm just trying to um, make sense of that passage. Uh, so yeah, the the cyclical here would mean um, um, the the construction of something like uh, a new dimension um, um, in which the disparation is integrated um, and it would be um, coextensive with the vital uh, um, when, so when we understand psychical in this specific sense, um, the psychical and the vital coincide. Uh, so it, it's a, a sort of um, panpsychism, I guess, in a in a way, um, or a, a pan vital psychism, or something like that. Um, yeah, I think the the domain of sense is something that he would um, consider to be only a, a like a subdomain of the psychical. I, I think, but I'm not 100 percent sure about that. Uh, to answer Angus's question, um, I try to pose like a clarifying question. So uh, here, sensation like uh, in the middle of like a part of the 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 chap the, the section like uh, just uh, which you just, was just like read. Sensation is a different play of the sense organs, indicating a relation to the milieu. Sensation is the capacity of differentiation. Something, something. So I'm thinking maybe it has to do with the actualization of capacity. What what I mean is like not. Just like uh, the individuation, not just uh, stays at the um, ideal perception, it has to do with the uh, actualization, like in the, the 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 at the level of at the level of something physical, like something. I mean, we can sense. So it's not just like a level of perception. It's it it actually exists, something like that. Um, yeah, we're going to see, I think, in the next subsection, um, some discussion of action and the relationship between action and perception. So I think, um, yeah, I think Simon Don would want to tie action together with perception rather than sensation. Um, but um, sort of the equivalent or, or the, the correspondent is um, in the case of, uh, so sensation as a uh, or the, the way Simon Don generally introduces uh, the, the notion of sensation is in connection with um, the notion of a tropism, uh, which is, uh, as I mentioned, this uh, orientation with respect to a gradient in the environment. Um, and so for many organisms, there is a sort of um, uh, behavior that is uh, a response to that gradient in the environment so that... Um, uh, you can think of like sunflowers that uh, turn towards the light, uh, towards the sun. Um, um, so they, they're oriented towards the, the brightest points in, uh, in the environment. They, they track that point over the course of, uh, of a day. And uh, other organisms um, will swim upstream uh, uh, towards um, a higher concentration of sugar. Uh, um, so that, because they, they consume it, um, uh, or you have um, like 
there are lots of bugs that will uh, flee light. They, they are oriented negatively towards light. All these organisms have uh, some sort of uh, uh, behavioral response to uh, a gradient in the environment, um, which is uh, connected to sensation. Uh, and so that's, um, that behavioral response is, um, I think, the, the equivalent of action. Um, but I think Simon Don wants to reserve the term action for something that uh, involves some, something more like an integration of the whole organism uh, rather than just a, a sort of um, a reliable response to some sort of stimulus. Um, um, so action involves uh, the whole organism um, and uh, some sort of uh, integration operation of the whole organism. Uh, but we'll, we'll see more about action in um, the, the next subsection. What you just said like, seems more related to the adaptation. Uh, yeah, maybe you can get more like, by going to the next section. Yeah, let's, uh, let's go on to the next, uh, the next subsection here, um, and, and we'll see his criticism of the, the concept of adaptation, um, and then his, uh, as well, we'll also see the more development of his understanding of action in connection with perception. Um, so yeah, if someone else wants to read uh, from the beginning of subsection two, um, that would be great. Yeah, I, I, I read that the problem is that I found that, like a, it's a long paragraph. So I don't know where I should stop. So please give me some By the way. Oh, you are going to oh, go, go, go. Uh, No, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, I can read after you if you want. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Your, I'll, the I'll, language I'll, is I'll... fine. I, I like the way you speak a lot. So it's fine if you read. Uh, like, I'm very okay with that. Oh, all right. I'll, I'll okay. first and well, then I can stop and you can continue then. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. Um, so about a page, uh, about a page's worth. Um, yeah, this is one of these giant multi-page paragraphs. So you can read around a page and, and then try to find a, a place where it seems like a good stopping point. All right. All right. I'll do. Okay. Adapt uh, individuation uh, to individuation adaptation. Adaptation is a correlate of individuation. It is only possible in accordance with individuation. The whole biologism of adaptation upon which an important aspect of 19th century philosophy depends and which persists in our day in the form of pragmatism, implicitly supposes that the already individuated living being as a given. The processes of growth are partially set aside. This is a biologism without ontogenesis. In biology, the notion of adaptation represents the projection of the relational scheme of thought with a dark zone between two clear terms. Just like in the holomorphic schema, furthermore, the holomorphic schema itself appears in the notion of adaptation. The living being finds in the world certain forms that structure the living being. In addition, the living being gives forms to the world in order to appropriate it for itself. Adaptation, which is a passive and active, and conceived as a complex and reciprocal influence based on a hyalomorphic schema. However, since adaptation is taken for granted by biology as the fundamental aspect of the living being, it's quite natural that psychology and poorly structured disciplines 
to lack principles, have believed to borrow from biology faithful, profound expression of life by utilizing the principle of adaptation in other domains. But if it were true that the principle of adaptation does not express, express vital functions in depth and does not account for ontogenesis, it would be necessary to reform all the intellectual systems founded on the notion of adaptation. It would be particularly advisable but to accept the consequences of a Kurt Ruins social dynamics, which represent the synthesis of German guest charts theory, American pragmatism. Indeed, the personality is represented as the center of tendencies. The milieu is essentially constituted by a goal toward which the being strives and by a set of forces opposed to the movement of the individual toward the goal. These forces constitutes a barrier that exerts a reaction proportionate in instruction to the intensity of the individual's action. Consequently, the different possible attitudes or behaviors relative to this barrier that seek to attain the goal in spite of this barrier. For example, the tool is one of these behaviors. One more, one more sentence. Such a conception appears to the notion of force fields, behaviors, and attitudes are understood as possible pathways within these force fields. These are hodological spaces, animals, and children project a simpler hodological space than the of other humans. A situation can be represented by the structures of the force field that constitute it. Right. Okay. Thank you. Uh, yeah. This is, so he he introduces this um, criticism of adaptation um, here. That um, so he he essentially argues that adaptation. The, the concept of adaptation um, um, has the same structure as the hylomorphic schema that we saw in part one, uh, which is that it, um, it doesn't represent the interaction of uh, the two domains. So in the, in the concept of adaptation, we have this notion of the individual organism and then the environment and um, the, uh, the individual is supposed to adapt itself to the environment uh, and, and the, the actual interaction of the individual and the environment is left um, as this dark zone or this um, uh, is not really specified um, how that adaptation is supposed to happen. And, uh, and this is, and so it's not only that the, the whole notion is um, similar to the uh, hylomorphic schema, but actually we do find the hylomorphic schema itself applied in the notion of adaptation in both directions. So um, the world uh, or the environment um, uh, acts as the form on, on the, the matter of the organism. So the organism takes on a certain form in response to the environment. And then in the other direction, the organism um, imposes a form on elements of the environment in in order to incorporate them. So uh, the the criticism of adaptation um, is, is a sort of extension of the, the criticism of the hylomorphic schema uh, from part one. Uh, and then the, the sort of other side of that um, criticism or the other part of the criticism is that uh, in the concept of adaptation, the actual development of the organism is sort of left out of the picture. So you, 
um, you look at the adult organism and the way that it adapts to its environment, um, uh, but you leave out um, of the picture the actual how, like how the organism got there in the first place. So these are the two sort of main points of, of Simon Dong's criticism of the notion of adaptation. Uh, and then we'll see throughout this, this uh, subsection, his uh, more detailed criticism. Um, but he, he sets it out, uh, his, his um, opposition to adaptation as a concept uh, in, in opposition to uh, Kurt Levin, um, who is a, a Gestalt psychologist um, who, who uh, I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he was German, but he worked in the U.S. Um, and uh, yeah, so he he uh, comes up with this account of behavior in which there are um, the environment of the organism would be structured uh, in terms of fields of force. Um, so there would be um, like a, a forward direction uh, and there would be a, a sort of uh, field of force of uh, forward movement in the environment. And then there would be like obstacles in the environment would, would present uh, um, disruptions to that field of force, um, for example. Um, um, and um, yeah, so this notion of horological spaces, so the, the space of the, um, of the organism is a is a, a structured space. Um, um, it, it's a space in which there are um, certain privileged directions and uh, um, other directions that are um, blocked or something like that. Uh, so that's sort of the the uh, position that he's setting that Simon Don here is uh, setting himself in opposition to. Okay, so um, yeah, we can go on to the next bit. So uh, Alan, if you would like to read from, uh, uh, where are we? However, this doctrine. However, yeah, sure. Uh, however, this doctrine uh, supposes that the essential activity of the living being is adaptation, since the problem is defined in terms of the opposition of forces, i.e. a conflict between the forces emanating from the subject oriented towards the uh, goal of the forces emanating from the pro uh, from the object um, from the object uh, for the living subject as a barrier between uh, subject and object. The discovery of a solution is a new uh, struct uh, structuration uh, of the field that modifies the topology of this field. However, what seems to be lacking in the topological and hodological theory is a representation of the being as capable of operating successive individuations within it. For the topology of force fields to be modified, uh, principle must be discovered and the old configurations must be incorporated into this system. The discovery of significations is necessary for the given to be modified. Space isn't just a force field and it isn't merely hodological. 
for the integration of elements into a new system to be uh, possible, there must be a condition of desperation in the mutual relation of these elements. If elements are as heterogeneous as Kurt Lewin supposes, if they were opposites like a barrier that repulses and a goal that attracts, the destruction would be too great for a mutual signification to be discovered. Action, the individuation enveloping certain elements of the milieu and certain elements of the being can only occur starting from nearly similar elements. Action isn't just a topological modification of the milieu. It modifies the very weft of objects and subjects uh, much more finely and delicately, which is modified is not uh, the, the abstract topological distribution of the object and the forces. In both the, a global and more intimate and less radical way, the incompatibilities of desperation are overcome and integrated due to the discovery of a new dimension. The world before actions isn't just the world where there is a barrier between the subject and the goal. It is, above all, a world that does not coincide with itself because it cannot be seen from a single point of view. The obstacle is indeed rarely just one object among, among objects. It is only such symbolically and for the needs of a clear and objectifying representation. In real lived experience, the, obst the obstacle is the plurality of ways of being present in the world. Hodological space is already the space of the solution. The significative uh, space that integrates the various possible points of view into systematic unity, the result of an amplification. Uh, before hodological space, there uh, is an overlap. There is this uh, overlap of perspectives that does not allow for the apprehension of determined obstacles. Since there are no dimensions with respect to which the single element ensemble uh, would be organized. The fluctuation anime that uh, precedes the res resolute action is not a hesitation between several objects or even several paths, but an unstable collection of the incompatible, almost similar, and therefore disparate uh, ensemble. Should I go on? Uh, let's stop there because yeah, this is a like three page long paragraph, so let, we won't be able to finish it uh, for now. Um, yeah. yeah, so we can stop here. Um, thanks. Um, yeah, let me just scroll up a little bit here. Um, yeah, so um, the um, the criticism of this. Uh, of Levin's theory is uh, is precisely that it is a, a form of adaptationism or a, a theory built around the, the notion of adaptation. So it um, it defines the um, uh, the problem uh, that behavior tries to solve as being um, um, uh, structured by the opposition of forces. So there's a a, a goal that um, is the attractive force or the, the source of the attractive force. Um, and then there's a, um, a, an obstacle which has a repulsive force. Um, and um, yeah, so the, the problem situation or the situation in which behavior appears 
uh, is structured by this repulsive force and this attractive force. Uh, so Simondo argues that if we understand the, these um, two forces as being uh, contraries or, or opposites, then there is no way to understand um, how they can be integrated into, uh, how, how they can form something like a, an integrated system. So the, the, uh, the theory sort of um, gives itself the integration into the system. So it, it doesn't account for the actual uh, systematiz systematization of um, the, the problem situation. Uh, so the, the way that the situation comes to be structured uh, in terms of uh, a goal and, um, uh, and an, an obstacle, for example, um, it, uh, it just sort of presents that um, structuring of the situation as a given. So for, for this reason, um, it's, it doesn't actually account for action. It, uh, it sort of presupposes that the action is already possible rather than uh, explaining how that possibility of action is first brought about. Uh, which is what Simon Don wants to do. So action is uh, um, a process of, uh, of development or, or is continuous with development um, in the sense that we saw in the previous subsection where development means the invention of a new dimension that incorporates the disparate. Um, uh, so likewise, action is uh, the invention of a, a new dimension that incorporates uh, some some disparation that existed previously. So there's um, in in Levin's picture, there's there's really only just um, the the rearrangement of uh, the topology of a situation. So the way that the um, goal and obstacles are arranged can be modified but the uh the actual structuring of a of a situation into um goal and obstacles is not uh, is not explained or is not accounted for in the theory okay so uh we can go on to the the next bit of this giant paragraph um and i can read um the subject before action is caught between several worlds between several orders Action is the discovery of the signification of this disparation, or that through which the particularities of each ensemble are integrated into a broader and richer ensemble, which has a new dimension. It is not by way of the dominance of one of the ensembles constraining the others that action manifests as organizing. Action is contempor contemporaneous with the individuation by which this conflict of planes is organized in space. The plurality of ensembles becomes a system. The schema of action is nothing but the subjective symbol of this new significative dimension that has just been discovered in the act of individuation. Therefore, such an incompatibility can be resolved as a systematic signification by a schema of succession and conditioning. Action indeed follows paths, but these paths can only be paths because the universe becomes ordered by individuating. The path is a dimension according to which the life of the subject in the here and now is integrated into the system by individuating it and by individuating the subject. The path is simultaneously world and subject. It is the signification of the system that has just been discovered as a unity that integrates the different anterior points of view, the singularities born. The perceiving being is the same as the acting being. Uh, action begins with a resolution of the problems of perception. Action is the solution of the problems of the mutual coherence of perceptive universes. 
It takes a certain desperation between these universes for action to be possible. Action is impossible if this desperation is too great. Action is an individuation above perceptions, not a function without links to perception and independent from it in existence. After perceptive individuations, an active individuation will give a signification to the disparations that appear between the universes resulting from perceptive individuations. The relation that exists between action and perceptions cannot be thought according to the notions of genus and species. Pure perception and pure action are the extreme terms of a transductive series oriented from perception toward action. Perceptions are partial discoveries of significations that individuate a limited domain with respect to the subject. Action unifies and individuates perceptive dimensions and their content by finding a new dimension, that of action. In fact, action is this course that is a dimension, a manner of organizing. The paths do not pre-exist action. They are the very individuation that makes a structural and functional unity appear in this conflictual plurality. Um, so this bit is, um, I think, probably one of the more difficult parts of this uh, section. It's uh, much more abstract than what we've seen before. Um, and I think here we also can see um, some of the, the, the influence or the connection with um, Merleau-Ponty uh, that... Um, uh, yeah, and, and Angus has pointed to Bexan as well, and, and there's a, so there's a, a sort of um, lineage, I guess, that goes through Bexan to Merleau-Ponty to uh, Simondon, and um, yeah, so I think this notion of um, the path uh, as something that is uh, sort of coordinate with action or, or correlated to action uh, and something that doesn't pre-exist the action, um, I think that, well, uh, to me at least, it, um, it definitely reminds me of Megaponti. And uh, yeah, so this, this notion of a, a path is, um, uh, so it's something that um, the path doesn't pre-exist the action. So if we think of a path in the sort of normal sense, it, you have a, a path through the forest or uh, a path through a field or whatever, um, it has to pre-exist the, the act of walking along that path. But here, um, yes, um, yeah, so here the, uh, the actual, um, the action of traversing that path is, uh, is what generates the path or the path and, and the action of uh, traversing it are, are the same. Um, so it, this is it's sort of, um, twists our, um, our understanding of what a path is uh, or, or um, uh, transforms that understanding. Um, so here we have, to, um, we have to understand how this path is, uh, yeah, as, as he says here, so the path is simultaneously world and subject. It is the signification of the system that has just been discovered as a unity that integrates the different anterior points of view. Um, so the the path is is sort of the unity of the the different points of view or the different um, um, aspects of the situation that are being integrated in the formation of uh, um, an action uh, as a, a response to a situation. So yeah, there's the path is um, simultaneous with the action, and it also is. Um, uh, the formation of world and subjects at the same time as as two sort of um, coordinate 
um, elements of, of the action. And then the other bit here is that um, action is always related to perception. So there's a continuity between, um, between perception and action, uh, which is a, a transductive unity. So there's a, a continuous path that, or uh, I shouldn't use the word path because he's uh, given that a, a technical meaning here. There's a continuous um, um, series or, or uh, domain uh, between, um, between perception and action so that uh, there's a, yeah, the, the, the perception of a situation which um, structures the situation as, um, as being uh, one in which there's a goal and an obstacle, for example, um, is already the beginning of the beginning of an action that uh, directs the, the individual towards that goal and um, away from the obstacle or around the obstacle. Um, uh, so there's a, a continuity between perception of a situation and action in response to that situation. Action is an individuation above perceptions, not a function without links to perception and independent from any existence. So it seems like that, like it's not um, causal, causal and effect, like causal, uh, causality. So what I understand is like, um, there is no pure perception and the pure action or extreme terms of a transductive series, something that there is something unexpected could be generated in the process of this transductive, metastable, I mean, transductive uh, process in the metastable phase. I think that is kind of an interesting part, which is like action is not equivalent to, to perception. So action is derived from perception, but that's totally independent, which is could be at the seed for the new perception. And then it makes all the process like a continuing, continuous, ongoing process. Yeah, I think that's right. Um... There, yeah. So there's a continuity between action and perception, but it's not it's not a, a causal relationship. Um, so it's not that um, action is caused by perception in a, a a cause and effect way, but there's a yeah a, a continuity in terms of uh, processes of individuation. So the the being that uh, is capable of perceiving uh, its situation. Uh, in a certain way, so as as being structured into uh, a goal and an obstacle, for example, uh, as soon as as the being is capable of perceiving its environment that way, or as as soon as it begins to perceive the environment in that way, it's uh, it's already that that's already the beginning of an action. Um, like that that restructuring of the situation is the the sort of first stage of an action, um, and uh, and so action is just a continuation of that same process that begins at the level of perception. Um, so yeah, there's a, a, a transductive unity in the sense that you have um, the, the perception uh, is sort of passed on to, uh, to, to uh, action uh, in this continuous manner uh, so that there's no um, 
there's no gap between the two. It, there's like a, a, a direct continuity from one to the other. And actually, like it would come up uh, in the next part. The another interesting part is like the way, um, the way I mean the the uh, making relationship relationship between the individual and its milieu. So, um, an individual in the process of individuation is doesn't like uh, only response to the milieu. It also um, generate like it makes like a, a milieu, like a creates milieu itself. So it's kind of active active function of an individual like so i think my guess is like as moving is trying to emphasize uh, like the the uh, it's really really interactive like between individual or and the uh, it's milieu yeah yeah no? i think um so the term milieu, I think Simon Don generally wants to reserve that for the um, the uh, unstructured um, condition. Uh, so the the milieu is is what appears before the process of uh, structuring occurs or the process of individuation occurs. Um, but after the process of individuation, um, yeah, there's definitely um, uh, some sort of um, uh, interaction or reciprocal development or, or something like that between the uh, environment and the individual um, so that the, the environment and the individual are, um, are structures that um, uh, appear uh, correlatively. So the, the, uh, the process of individuation um, generates the, the subject and the world in which the subject appears uh, at the same time. So they're, they're, not, um, they're not like independent um, objects sort of uh, sitting next to each other or facing each other or something like that. The, the subject and world are um, uh, coordinate um, uh, parts of this total uh, process of individuation. Um, yeah, so we can go on to the next bit on 234, if someone else would like to read. The notion of adaptation is poorly formed to the extent that it supposes the existence of terms as preceding that of relation. What deserves to be critiqued is not the modality of relation, such as the theory of adaptation envisions it. What deserves, deserves to be critiqued are the, what deserve to be critiqued are the very conditions of this relation coming after the terms. The theory of active adaptation, according to Lamarck, nevertheless presents an important advantage over that of Darwin. It considers the activity of the individual, the individuated being is playing an extremely important role in adaptation. Adaptation is an ongoing ontogenesis. However, Lamarck's doctrine does not make enough room for this conditioning via the problematic aspect of vital existence. The striving of the living being is not simply conditioned by needs and tendencies. In addition to needs and tendencies, which have an individual and specific origin, there appear ensembles in which the individual being is engaged by perception and which are not compatible with these needs and tendencies according to their internal dimensions. In both Darwin and Lamarck, there is the idea that uh, the object is an object, the object is object for the living being. 
a constituted and detached object that represents a danger or a food or a refuge. In the theory of evolution, the world relative to which perception takes place is a world already structured according to a unitary and objective system of reference. Yet it is precisely this objective conception of the milieu that creates the notion of adaptation. There is not merely a food object or a prey object, but a world pursuant to the search for nourishment and a world pursuant to the avoidance of predators or a world pursuant to sexuality. These perceptive worlds do not coincide, but are nevertheless not that different from one another. They have some elements that belong to each objects designated as predator, prey, mate, food. Just as monocular images each possess several fringes that belong to each image. Adaptation is a resolution to a superior degree that must engage the subject as the bearer of a new dimension. The objective dimension, dimensions are adequate for each perceptive universe. Three-dimensional space pairs together two disparate two-dimensional images. Different perceptive universes cannot be reduced to a system of superior dimensional axiomatic uh, system of a superior dimensional axiomatic according to a principle of objectivity. The living being consequently enters into the axiomatic by supplying it with a new condition that becomes a dimension, i.e. action. The course, the succession of phases of the rapport to the objects that modifies the latter. The Hodological universe integrates the disparate perceptive worlds in a perspective that makes the milieu and the living being mutually correlative according to the beings becoming in the milieu and the milieu's becoming around the being. The very notion of milieu is misleading. There is only a milieu for a living being that manages to integrate perceptive worlds in a unity of action. The sensory universe is not given all at once. There are nothing but sensory worlds waiting for action so that they can become significative. Adaptation creates the milieu and the being relative to the milieu. The being's paths, of the being's paths. Before action, there are no paths. There is no unified universe within which the directions and intensities of forces can be indicated in order to find a result. The physical paradigm of the parallelogram of forces is not applicable it supposes a single space, i.e. dimensions valid for this single space, axes of reference valid for every object that is in this field and for every movement that will take place there. In this sense, Gestalt theory and its extension via the work of uh, Kurt Lewin's dynamic field theory are retroactive representations. It is easy to explain action when the being is given in a single structured milieu but action is precisely the condition of the coherence of the axiomatic by means of which this milieu is singular. Adaptation theory, Gestalt theory, and the dynamics, dynamics of fields reject before action and in order to explain it, what action creates and conditions. These three doctrines suppose a structure of action before action to explain action. They suppose the problem resolved. However, the problem of the living being's action is precisely the problem of the discovery of compatibility. This problem is a problem of individuation to a superior degree. It cannot be resolved by means of notions which, like that of the stable state, suppose prelimi preliminary axiomatic coherence. 
What is common to the three notions of adaptation, good form, and hodological space is the notion of stable equilibrium. However, stable equilibrium, which is realized when all potentials are actualized in the system, is precisely what supposes that there is no incompatibility, that the system is perfectly unified because all possible transformations are realized. The system of stable equilibrium is one that has attained the highest degree of homogeneity possible. It cannot explain action to any extent, for it is a system in which no transformation is possible, since all potentials have been exhausted. It is a dead system. So as part of the criticism of, of these theories, the idea that you can't have like first a milieu and then uh, an individual acting in the milieu because for Simon Don, action itself uh, sort of constitutes the milieu. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the the uh, um, this terminology um, of milieu, he he seems to fluctuate actually um, in terms of the usage. But here, so yeah, here he's talking about the milieu as um, what appears together with the action. Um, so if you um, the adaptationist position or the um, the uh, doctrines that he's criticizing that um, are centered around this concept of adaptation, they presuppose that the um, milieu already exists and then action appears within that milieu. Uh, whereas for Simon Don, action in the proper sense is what, uh, what creates the milieu at the same time. Um, and, uh, and so there's no, um, uh, it's, only, it's only in action that um, the milieu comes to be structured uh, in such a way that um, all of the, the different, uh, what he calls the perceptive universes, um, that they uh, sort of coincide, or not, don't coincide, but are integrated um, into a, a coherent structure. So um, like the, there, there would be different perceptual universes for um, uh, uh, food and danger and a mate and and so on um, and then the organism has to decide between the you know whether to uh, look for food or to escape a predator or what exactly the the organism is going to do um, and in acting it uh, it uh, sort of compatibilizes all those different perceptive universes um, and uh, uh, it's only through the action that it makes them compatible and and uh, um, orders the the different universes with each other, um, and so it's not it's not that uh, there isn't some sort of pre-given universe in which all of those uh, um, perceptive universes would uh, would find their place. Uh, it's only it's only together with the action that the the ordering uh, is possible. Yeah, and this bit on uh, Lamarck is um, interesting, uh, a little bit uh, uh, controversial, I would think, uh, um, especially at the time he was writing uh, by by the 1960s or, or uh, late 1950s. Um, certainly, um, this. Lamarckian theory of evolution was uh, considered discredited uh, in biology. Um, uh, so the, the controversy around, um, well, Lamarck's theory was more um, 
uh, was a little bit different, but the controversy around uh, in the early 20th century around um, uh, Darwinian uh, versus Lamarckian approaches to um, to evolution had to do with the the possibility of inheriting acquired characteristics. Um, so it was uh, the question of whether an organism could uh, pass on to its offspring um, characteristics that it acquired during its lifetime, and and so the. Orthodox Darwinians said that there, that was not possible, um, uh, whereas um, Lamarckians uh, argued that it was, and uh, people tried to um, uh, you know, bring evidence one way or the other to, uh, to decide this question uh, in the early 20th century. Uh, and uh, eventually the, uh, the Orthodox Darwinians won out so that um, uh, the community of scientists as a whole, or a community of biologists as a whole, um, decided that uh, inheritance of acquired characteristics was not possible. Um, um, though interestingly, Darwin himself uh, um, did accept that uh, inheritance of acquired characteristics was possible. So um, in later editions of uh, The Origin of Species, he, he does uh, um, Admit that possibility as one uh, as one possible uh, mechanism of evolution, um, and uh, I think more recent research on epigenesis um, or epigenetics uh, has uh, sort of qualified that um, uh, statement that uh, that uh, acquired characteristics can't be inherited. Um, so I think it's. My yeah, my limited understanding is that it's a little bit um, less strict than you know, it seemed to be like in the sort of mid twentieth century. Um, uh, but yeah, so Simon Don um, is writing before um, epigenetic research really um, sort of takes off. I think in like the nineties or so. Um, uh, so he's uh, um, sort of staking a, a, a fairly controversial claim that uh, Lamarck's theory of uh, adaptation is, is superior to, to Darwin's. Um, and the, the, the basis for that for him is that um, uh, Lamarck's theory um, has to do with the actual um, activity of the organism rather than uh, a purely passive adaptation like in the Darwinian uh, theory. Um, and so this uh, this actually ties in more with um, the the broader picture that Lamarck presented, which was of uh, a sort of um, vital force uh, which is continuous throughout the realm of the living, and uh, which pushes uh, um, organisms to uh, um, to make efforts towards uh, you know acquiring food or. Uh, evading predators or whatever it is, um, uh, and it's that that push or that um, that effort of the organisms that uh, brings about transformation. Uh, and so, like the the sort of stereotypical example that's given is that how the giraffe uh, gets a long neck from uh, uh, reaching for the the high leaves on a tree. Um, um, Obviously, this would be you know over many many thousands of years, um, but um, the idea is that the effort of the sort of proto giraffe of reaching towards the high branches is what brings about the 
lengthening of the neck of its offspring and so on. Um, and so uh, Simon Dong argues that this, uh, this account in which the activity of the organism uh, plays a central role is actually uh, superior to the Darwinian account in which um, adaptation would just be the result of like a, a filtering process on organisms. There would just be uh, random variation and then uh, the environment uh, filters out certain organisms that um, are not adapted to, to that environment and it would just be a, pure, a purely passive um, operation. Um, we're just about at time here, so uh, unless anyone has any sort of final thoughts or, or questions they wanted to get in in the last couple of minutes, we can uh, wrap it up, I think. Your point on like Lamarckism versus Darwinism quite interesting, like I hope we can talk more like next week. Yeah, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll come back to that next week um, because he, he does um, talk a bit more about the, the different um, the different concepts of adaptation and uh, how they relate to his actual um, conception of, of action. So yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that. Okay, so yeah, let's, uh, let's stop here for today. Um, thank you everyone for showing up and for your contributions uh, and see you all next week. <laughs>